You're listening to the 97th episode of Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Most of my episodes have been about golf or indirectly related to golf. This episode offers you a look into the future of a book that my buddy Josh Salzman will be publishing in the near future. He and I have spoken about some of his wild and interesting experiences training high-profile clients. Celebrities like Angelina Jolie, Hugh Jackman, Sir Kenneth Branagh, Sir Paul McCartney, drug dealers, arm dealers, and a dead Nazi. In this episode, I pick Josh's brain about fitness and diet. I'm considered an elder tribesman, which means I've lived long enough and experienced the best and not so best of humanity. I've dedicated my working years helping public corporations achieve their quarterly goals. Now that satisfies their board of directors, stockholders, and the consumers that bought our products. And along the way, I helped raise a family and got horribly hooked on golf. Golf as an outlet for my frustrations, relationship building, and need to compete. During the pandemic, I had this brainchild of sharing all of my experiences with the world through this podcast medium, mostly because my girlfriend reaffirmed that a book would just be minimalizing all of my experiences, wouldn't include others, and quite frankly, other than reading a hard copy of the Wall Street Journal every day. I'm not much of a reader, which was her way of basically saying, if you don't read, please don't write. But first, a segment I call, What Annoys Me This Week? No, it's not Ted Cruz's well-thought-out response to the Texas school shooting. By suggesting that his state's budget be focused on more effective, gun-proof, heavily locked school doors and windows protected by armed security. According to my research, there are over 5 million students in 1,247 districts in Texas. That would be around 7,500 freestanding buildings with over 75,000 doors and 500,000 windows. And his solution is to terrorist-proof the buildings instead of amending the gun laws. He also wants what would be tantamount to 30,000 mercenary-like trained defenders at the key entrance and exit points. (laughs) And I think my specific numbers are as well thought out and researched as his solution. And no, it's not Marjorie Taylor Greene's obtuse petri dish analysis of the problems in America, which reminds me, you don't have to be the smartest student in the room to get elected to Congress. You just have to toe the company line and be gutsy enough to represent the thoughts and prayers from your district. I never thought that Trump believed half the things he said, 
But with Marjorie, I'm convinced that she doesn't need any help writing her own speeches. And no, it's not the Uvalde school chief of police, Pete Aridondo, who kept his police force at bay, tackling parents who couldn't stand for the lack of action for over an hour since the shooter entered the building. And it's not tip-baiting. On Instacart, too many customers were inserting very large tips when they ordered groceries or or food from restaurants to be delivered. And then once the delivery came to their house, they either wiped out the tip or knocked it down much lower. They did that to, to influence the driver into faster, more effective service to get their food quicker. And then once they get their food, they're like, hey, screw you, buddy. And they take their tip away. It's not that. And it's not wearing your golf hat backwards. I had a senior golfer tell me the other day how disrespectful of the sport it was for young golfers to flip their caps backwards. I mean, who cares how somebody wears their hats? Who cares how they wear their hair or how they dress on a golf course? Did this guy not remember plaid pants and yellow shirts on the golf course 30 years ago was the thing? Plus, if you watched the match with the top four star NFL quarterbacks last week, Tom Brady wore his hat backwards. And if that's what Tom does, it's good enough for the golf community at large. I'm not going to underscore any act of selfishness, blind leadership, or boneheaded behavior this week. Instead, out of respect for those who've served and died for our country, I'll talk about what impressed me this week. First, let's talk about sports. If you're a Boston fan, the Celtics are back in the finals. Up game one after a 40-point run in the fourth quarter of game one. If you're a New York Rangers fan, the Rangers are back in it. Up two games against the Lightning, who've won it two years in a row. And on a less popular sport, but near and dear to my heart, NCAA lacrosse. University of Maryland men's lacrosse winning the finals against Cornell to complete an undefeated season. North Carolina Tar Heels women's lacrosse program beating Boston College 12 to 11 in a nail biter. And if you'd never watched NCAA D1 women's lacrosse, you have to look at Boston College lacrosse. You have to YouTube Charlotte North and see what is possible for women lacrosse players. I watched her play in two playoff games and have never seen an individual performance quite like her. Sidearm bullet shots to the top corner while she's in stride. It's a sight to see. To me personally, the highlight of the week was Grace Potter at the Windjammer. She is the quintessential rock star. I place her in the same company as Stevie Nicks, Joan Jett, Pat Benatar, Bonnie Raitt, Cheryl Crow. 
Except to me, she channels music through her entire body better than any diva I've ever seen. I mean, sure, Grace Look could take an LSD and mushroom-taking crowd on a psychedelic trip. Joan Jett and Pat Benatar can get the crowd to their feet, and Janis Joplin can rasp the shit out of a song. But Grace has something special that feeds audiences while she feeds off the energy of the crowd. I would say She performed every one of her hits, which, by the way, has become a problem for a lot of new artists who only want to play their new stuff. When a musician talks to the crowd and says something like, now I'm going to play a few songs from my new album that's coming out next week, my brain turns off. Time to hit the bar of the vape pen. There wasn't a sedentary person in the entire venue when Grace started banging on her keyboards or ripping rock and roll chords on her V-shaped Stratocaster. She has ignited more lady crushes than Zoe Kravitz and Angelina Jolie combined. The first time I saw her play was during this 2013 July 4th bash downtown Philadelphia. John Mayer was headlining with The Roots, so I wanted to get down there early enough to get as close to the stage as I can. And the beginning act, they call out, and now we've got Grace Potter. And she walks onto the stage, and look, she's attractive to begin with, so you're going to look at her. And she walks out with this electric guitar on her shoulder, pulls it around, and starts hitting some Jimmy Page-like hard and heavy chords to shock the crowd into a dancing frenzy. From that point on, I vowed to see her anytime she came anywhere near any of, the t- any of the towns I lived in. There's no better way to start off for summer than a Grace Potter performance. That is what was good this week. Josh Salzman has joined me in 11 out of the first 95 episodes and always has something interesting to share. I chose fitness and diet as a topic, not only because it's what Josh does best, but because selfishly during the pandemic, I used food and my new learning of how to cook from greats like Gordon Ramsay and Wolfgang Puck as a coping mechanism, as a way just to get through the unknown of the pandemic. And here's a newsflash to all my listeners. You do that for a long period of time, you're bound to gain weight. And excess weight just has a way of fucking with your golf swing. Not to mention the horrible effects it has long term on your health. I mean, if you feed a mouse a cookie, I think you get it. And I'm guessing I'm not alone in this area. So if you're interested in listening to one of the best in his field and how he approaches his clients... This one, my friends, is for free. That brings up something we had talked about the other day. And this is an interesting um, 
strategy, philosophy. We were talking about reflexology. You were talking about tennis balls on the bottom of your feet. And when you get to an area of discomfort, you stay there and you push until the area of discomfort yeah, goes I, away. I'd, I'd, use a, I'd use a hard ball, like a, like a baseball, because that's even better than a tennis ball. But yes, or a rolling pin. Yeah, go ahead. Rich. But don't wait. Like, do you think we tend to learn to, when you get to an area of discomfort, stop? Because it's not comfortable. It seems like if there's pain, stop doing whatever you're doing. And so how is this pressing on a pain area until it goes away? Um, it, it seems to me counterintuitive to everything we've learned growing up. Well, yeah, well, I think that's probably true. But I would say this, because um, if you look at most physios, you know, even, you know, Joseph Pil Lattes, first of all, was the first kind of osteopath because he used to see that if there's something wrong with a person's shoulder, then it probably came. He was the first famous one, that's for sure. It probably came from their foot. Certain things on the bottom of the feet relate to other parts of the body. I think that's what reflexology is all about, right? Yes, they will relate organ-wise and they relate to, in, to certain parts of your meridian lines, but they also relate to, Rich, to posture. So if your foot's, you know, like got a lump on the bottom of it because the muscle is tight, then you're going to roll your foot, which is going to roll your knee, which is going to move your hip in a certain way and tighten your hip flexor, you know, the top of your quads. And then if your hip flexors are tight, your hips go, your hips go back and your shoulders come forward. So then you get neck problems and shoulder problems because posture alignment is the key. As your girlfriend would tell you, you know, yoga is a lot about postures, yeah, and breathing. So, so, but back to the pain thing. The pain thing is there's a difference between a bruise. So if somebody smacks you in a knee or you get kneed in your thigh, well, that's a bruise. So there's a bruise there. But if there's a tightness from overuse in, in a certain part of your IT band, which runs from your hip to your knee, and the, or your adductor, which in the inside of your uh, thigh, then you can find a spot or the top of your calf or even on your Achilles, you squeeze it. And if it's painful, you keep squeezing it until it isn't painful anymore. And the best way to do that, say, if you were, I did it to a gentleman today that had a problem because he went out and played soccer. He's 50 something years old and he had this calf. So I had to go right into the calf. And then also into the Achilles and also into the bottom of the foot to find those painful parts. And then when they were released, then the, then, then, then the healing starts and then he could walk again better. He wasn't limping. So it's basically, in that case, it's kind of releasing muscles. It's called myofascia release. It's, it's the myofascia needs to be released. And what happens when there's a strain and not a tear, but sometimes it could be a small tear, the muscle rejoins together and it shortens which is when you start walking it hurts and because it's pulling on the nerves right and around that area it's very it's very it's like in your sacroiliac joint which you know it's the bottom of the spine there's two little knobs on either side of your tailbone where we used to have a tail and we used to walk before we started walking upright that get tight from people sitting too much or biking too much or doing things that they're tightening up their hip flexors. And then when they stand up, they feel like they're 
you know, one hip is higher than the other and they're kind of limping trying to walk, which sure. might've been your case. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I felt so, that before. Sure. Yeah. So then you put a roller underneath somebody's hips, like a foam roller. So you right. elevate their hips and then you have to, you know, if you're not strong enough, like I am or somebody else's, you have to make sure their trousers or their underwear is down far enough where they can find that little spot near your coccyx. That's really sore. And if you push on it, push on it, push on it, it'll release it. It'll be very uncomfortable if it's, if your back's sore and then you'll be able to be freed up because what happens with your lower spine, your vertebrae, one, two, three, four, where most discs get bulged in most people, that's the area that gets very tight because of tight hip flexors, which are the front and they correspondingly tighten up your sacroiliac joint and chiropractors a lot of times will take you and they'll put you onto one of those tables and they'll go, they'll bring one knee over the other and they go click, 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 click. Now that helps because to, to relieve it. But the major problem is it's like painting the kitchen in many times when the roof is leaking. The problem is in the tight muscle. The problem is, is what the person is doing every day. And unless there's a series of exercises that are progressive and, and, and they stay with these exercises, stretching exercises, and they address those things on a regular basis, they'll keep going from A to B and back to A again, so to speak. It'll never be a relief. They'll, you know, people go to chiropractors three times a week sometimes. And, and so some, some, some are better than others. And some chiropractors practice a bit of myofascial release and they give you exercises to do. And some just click you and take your cash and you go, you know what I mean? Type of thing. Lake Nona in Orlando where Tavistock cup is, I remember going there with Ernie and that place was had full of these people. Some were good. Some were charlatans that actually played on the fact that a lot of golfers need to get back on the course. And they'd pay $200 three times a week for the same treatment that wasn't doing anything other than to give them some relief. But then they come back to point A again. You know what I mean? So does massage so, work on myofascial release if you have a good massage therapist? Yeah, if you have a good masseur. But the masseur, sometimes masseurs can be like ma massage by numbers. You know, you go to a spa and they, they ask you, so where's the problem? And they end up doing the same thing they would do for everybody. And they're not strong enough. So they really don't get much. And it feels like you're just being, you know, massaged by numbers. Some masseurs are more intuitive. And if you know them like this lady and she gets to know you, then they go into the spots that they know that are problems. And they also give you exercises to do to stick with. So you do things for your rotator cuff. If your rotator cuff's giving you problems, she will give you, she will give people exercises to prevent this from reoccurring. Or at least while she's getting you better, she'll make sure that there's a course of action. Some people don't pay any attention to those, Rich. And I don't have to tell you, there's people that they're very good with their cars. If they're in a health club and they walk, they limp out of their health club after doing a spinning class and their car makes a noise, boy, they take it into the garage right away. If their body's limping, they'll go, well, yeah, I'm just limping. You know what I mean? So it's like the guy who... Uh spends $550 on a driver instead of taking a few lessons, you know, or, or instead of stretch, doing all the things for their body that they need to do, they, you know, <laughs> look, a, a new driver is more sexy than, than all the work that it takes. So let, let's talk a little bit about the work. So you and I talked last time and we didn't, uh, this is the session I wanted to uh, produce. It's really right. about the work that people have to do 
to be in shape for just regular life and or sports, right? So um, you find sometimes you'll, a client will hire you and they're hiring yeah. you because something along the way has probably gone wrong. When they were younger, they might've been really athletic. They might've been, you know, whatever that is, they might find you because a, a series of events that, that have happened over time, it's just gotten progressively worse. So tell me, like when you meet a new client and, you know, they, is the first thing you do is talk to them about, you know, get, get their thoughts on what's ailing them, what they think is wrong. And then you start doing your physical Joshatron manipulations to figure out what you think the real problem is or, you know, take us through it. I go through, I go through a protocol of a few things. One, I ask them how they're sleeping. Two, I ask them if they've had any injuries, and I listen to the injuries. And sometimes the injuries aren't injuries. They're just tight muscles that are causing that discomfort, right? But sometimes there's a history of an injury there that needs to be addressed. Like the person had a skiing accident, you know, and they never really went through the whole physio thing. And we've got to, like, you know, retroactively call this back. Usually it has to do with as long as the person has you know, still both limbs. And I've had people without limbs that I've worked with and people with cerebral palsy that I've worked with, which, you know, everyone's a snowflake, everyone's different that, you know, you, you, you know, that, that, you know, they, people fit into categories. So even the person's a professional athlete, they're going to have the same back problems that you and I would have, or, or Mrs. Cohen would have if she's not stretching enough. Right. But you have to. So then after you listen to all these things, like what's the sleep like, what's their food like, what is their activity like or lack of activity like, so to speak, what do they do every day? Then you take them through a series of exercises that, you know, that will show you what I do is I put them on their side. You know, this clamming up where somebody raises their leg in a clam. position. Yes. And so, you know, it's like a clam and it's working your outer thigh. So I'll put my hand on there. The person is, is capable of doing that. And I'll push that area there and I'll be the man of resistance while they're doing this Jane Fonda leg lift. I'll be giving them resistance on it or I'll take them through a bicep exercise, depending on who they are. For so, Because sometimes you have to show the person that you can do things with your hands because they can't believe that you can do it. And some of these guys, like I put something on my post today, this guy that's like this ex rugby player that's now, you know, pretty fit guy. I saw that with all the awards. I saw your post today. Yeah. 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 So he, you know, I had to show him that I could, I could train him really as harder than he would be training in a gym just to get his confidence, just so he wouldn't think that he's pussying out with this guy that's 20 years older than him or whatever I am. And, and that I'm supplying the resistance, a lot of it with my hands, except for push-ups and things like that. So, so sometimes you have to prove that you can do this, but you don't want to prove it in a way that you're slaughtering the guy. Cause the worst thing that happens with really highly qualified, you know, supposedly qualified uh, gym people, people go to the gym, they train the guy, the guy starts sweating or the woman starts sweating for three days. They can't walk. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. uh, after the, the initial sure. session. So you have to work with a philosophy of exercise and a philosophy of well-being rather than a set of exercises, because the exercises change according to where they are. And it's the philosophy that doesn't change. So the philosophy is this. 95% of fitness is in your head, how you think, how you eat, and how you sleep. 5% is what you do, or 10% at max, but 5% usually is what you're doing physically. And some of those things you do every day. But how you think 
will dictate, first of all, if you're going to do anything, if you're going to be disciplined, how you eat, food is a, is, is medicine and it can be, and food can be, uh, can aggravate issues. So for instance, so, so back to, you know, we're, we're talking about the exercise. So I'll take them through a series of exercises, but I'll make sure that the exercise that I'm showing them that they'll go, wow, I really feel that muscle. I've never felt that muscle like that because they'll get on a, they'll do like kettlebells or something like that. And they're not working that specific muscle, right? They're not getting that one specific muscle working. And as you look at smaller muscles, they make the bigger muscles get stronger. So you have to work the wrists of people, the forearms of people. And what you find is nobody works their forearms, both the top of the forearm and the bottom of the forearm, because that's half of your arm. And whether you're a man or a woman, if you don't have a grip, if you put your hand down for a, for a yoga position or you try to do a push-up, that pressure, if you can't absorb it in your hand or your forearm, it's going to go quickly to that tricep and to that chest, and you're not going to get many repetitions out of it. And then worst of all, you can hurt yourself. And in today's age, where I have young people that are 13 years old that I work with, they already have hand issues from texting too much and going on Instagram. Sure. And, you know, it's you interesting know, you say the forearm, and you said this the other day when we were talking, and I think about all of the times, all of the hours I used to spend in a gym. It's far right. less now because I'm outside doing other things, but I see people doing bicep curls. I see people doing bench presses. I see people doing things that are not working on their forearms. Right, right. And, and, and if you know in wrestling and lacrosse, so much of what you do with that stick is flipping around with your wrists. And as we get older, Rich, you know, the truth is Scandinavians tend to do these surveys more than Americans do because they're really into this stuff. And all my Swedish clients tend to be really into this stuff is that grip strength. They've done a survey of 20,000 Scandinavians or 30,000. And they found that people with the best grip strength, grip strength, when they go into their 70s, 60s, 70s and 80s, have a better quality of life. Do you ever use those um, stress balls, you know, for people to press down on? Is that something that works people's wrists uh, and their forearms? They'll work a bit, but you're better off using a Dynaband. And what we can do, Rich, for, for your listeners out there is maybe on the website, we can send, we can do some taping. I can do some taping or I can do some pictures and send them to you and you can put them on the site. But what it is is basically you take a Dynaband, right? Like you take the Dynabands usually come in like red, yellow, green, sure. yeah. yellow. Boil it, brawl it, bake it, saute it. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp. Cave shrimp. Shrimp stew, shrimp salad. Shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, cave shrimp. That's that's about it. Yeah. So you you you're sitting in on you're sitting in a straight back position, either on a stability ball or on a comfortable chair, and you just drape it underneath your foot, and then you take the other end of the dynaband and you grip it into your hand, and you place one arm with the elbow down. The elbow has to stay down, and the wrist is just ahead of your knee, and you just go up and down with that dynaband. And actually, you do try to do really high repetitions, both the overhand grip and the underhand grip until it really gets you. You want to get up to what you find is the first time you start doing dynabands. Even my son, 
Zach, who works for the Canadian Health Department. He's 38 years old. He's pretty pumped up. He's got, he didn't have any forearm strength he found. Because I said, how many of these can you do, son, with a red Dynaband? And he can only do 30 before he started aching. I said, no, you better do 180 of these. You better really? do 180. Got it. And That's brilliant. That's so different than um, most anything I've heard before for fitness. Yeah, and it's the movement, Rich, because you can get these squeezy things, you know, these things you squeeze, yeah. but you want full range movement. So you want to have your wrist just over your knee, or if you're using a bench at a gym, you grab a lighter weight and you keep with one hand, unless you're using a barbell, you try to keep your elbows down and you want to keep that elbow down, but that wrist just ahead on the, you're kneeling on the floor and it's just on the other side of the bar, uh, the bench. So you let that wrist drop and raise it up as high as you can. You don't do quick. You do really slow as high as you can until it's actually burning. And then to make sure that you're going to stay away from the golfer's elbow, you take your thumb of your other hand and you stick it on the inside of your elbow. And what you'll find is you probably a lot of people with the arm straight will find a spot that is really sore and it's connected to your thumb. So you move your thumb when you're doing this. And then the other side, it's usually near the top where your tennis elbow would be. And you go up and down with your wrist. It prevents carpal tunnel to this stuff. And then you find the spot where you dig in with the other hand and you find a little spot where it's really uncomfortable and you play the piano with your fingers and you make your fingers move as much as you can. So thumb is usually connected to the inner elbow, the golfer's elbow and the other four fingers. If you have four fingers, which you haven't had any accidents or something like that, because people don't always have five sure. fingers. Yeah. You move your fingers like it's you're playing the piano, but most people never really stretch their hands. The other thing you can do, which this is a really good exercise is if you don't have things, you take a rubber band, a decent rubber band, you wrap it around like a closed fist and you, you spray the rubber band open all the time, you know? So you basically got a closed fist and you put your rubber band in a position. So then when you open your hand up to an open position, you're using the rubber band as a resistance. Yeah. And hand, a lot of people have, you know, these trigger tendons happen after uses, years of using typewriters as we used to use or writing, you know, they get writer's hands yeah but the thing about it the truth of the matter is most people will treat it with a leave or advil or um you know um ibuprofen and and other forms of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories steroids <laughs> let's see who else we got here. oh adderall is that you adderall buddy i haven't seen you since college <laughs> everybody adderall the only drug that makes you stay up all night so you can't have fun. <laughs> yeah. And opium. How the hell did you hear about this? Telegram? <laughs> and look, Shrooms is here. Kind, kind of. Hey, Ecstasy, give him a poke. Make sure he's still alive. <laughs> I said poke, not a full body cavity search. Jesus. My God, somebody tossed that kid a glow stick or something. <laughs> but seriously, Weed, I don't know what we do without you. Besides move out of our parents' basement. Which they've just said over here, finally, after 20 years of me knowing this, or 30 years of me knowing this because of my case of ulcerative colitis, they eat up your tissues. They eat up your stomach tissue, this stuff, right? It's a quick and, fix. Yeah, it's a quick fix like a lot of things are here. You know, it will yeah, stop the fix, pain. But, it doesn't fix the right. problem, but it will allow you to do, if you're not doing these things that you're talking about for rehab, it allows right. you temporarily to do those things you like to do with less pain so you could perform and then you just worry about it later. You know, you deal That's with it right. again. That's right. 
right? But right, yeah. But what you're saying so, is so, that that comes at a cost. That comes at a cost. But always remember this for your listeners out there: your gut, your stomach, is a mirror for the rest of your body. So why we say that? Because if you use non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that go into your gut, they're going to affect your gut. Whatever affects your gut is going to affect your muscles, right? Because your muscles feed off of your gut. Your gut has to digest food. It has to give it nutrients. So with that, if you eat too much sugar, sugar is an inflammatory thing. So if you have a back problem where you have achy muscles or you've injured yourself, cut the sugar down completely. Cut the sodium down completely. We joked up on the last podcast that I had just finished the Chinese with uh, Sir Kenneth Branagh. I don't eat Chinese food because a lot of it's got a lot of right. sodium in it. Right. And it's got a lot of sugar in it. Hey, what about and beer? So I think the beer is easier than, say, spirits sometimes because spirits are usually mixed with Coca-Cola and cranberry juice that's got a lot of sugar in it or ginger ale. Ginger you know, ale and, and grape juice. Yeah, sure. And grape juice right. and all this stuff in that form, not pure grape juice, not if you get really good grape juice, not if you get grape, great cranberry juice, but you can get the real crappy stuff. That's just like off the bar where you say, I want to, you know, cranberry vodka or something like that, a Cape Cod or whatever it is. And they usually use really crappy, sugary uh, drinks that it basically will cause inflammation. So the sugar is like a rust. It rusts you. And this is why your listeners should think what I do in the morning, once I get my every morning, because I intermittent fast. Well, stop I, right. Wait, stop strict. right there. Intermittent yep. fasting. I think that's a horrible marketing term, by the way. I, my son just flew in town yesterday and we saw each other and right. he intermittent fasts, right? He's very healthy. Right. He's very fit. I mean, his thing is when he's on the road, he's like uh, insanity or P90X, which right. I think he's ruined his body, but he looks good. He just has some shoulder issues, but he eats very well. And he's talking right. about intermittent fasting. And I'm like, well, tell me what you think it is. And he's like, you've got eight hours a day to eat, eight consecutive hours you pick the eight hours for him it's 11 in the morning till seven at night and he goes once right. you get past those hours you don't eat so your body yep. could burn fat and i'm thinking why didn't they call it eight hour eating why didn't they call it something else that is what you can do instead of the thing you can't do like fasting is you can't eat during these hours you see what i'm saying yeah. well i would say we got to rename it, like it. This. i i play you know, well that's kind of like saying diets are deprivation and really eating right is discipline right discipline is is a better term because you're disciplining yourself intermittent fasting is you're taking time and i get what you're saying but the idea of intermittent fasting is twofold is is threefold or fourfold really one your gut needs a break now we used to always get up in the morning as little children and think like you got to have your wheaties right you got to have your cereal you got to pour that big bowl of cornflakes no you don't. So is breakfast not the most important meal of the day? No, it's not. As a matter of fact, what happens, that's a big misnomer. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't agree with this for everybody because there's some people like my mom and there's some people like that are on certain medications if they have mental health issues that they have to eat something else. They can't take what they need to take. But for the healthiest, healthier person, a normal person, the idea of intermittent fasting is, is goes like this. It's giving your gut a break so it rests like the rest of your body. And you, the classic thing with intermittent fasting is better to be able to make sure that your bowels are completely empty every day 
And then the first thing you put in it is after, because how you empty your bowels, usually it's with a caffeinated pre-workout drink or just, you know, a couple double espressos, right? Or double espresso. And then you get your bowels open. And then you, the best thing to do after that, and I'm not sure if your son does it or not, but it sounds like he should because of his shoulders, is have, if you can, and dentists will say, well, this isn't necessarily good for your teeth, but I don't think it bothers your teeth if you do it right, is lemon water. So you squeeze a lemon in hot water and you take the whole juice down with the hot water, mixed in with hot water, and that alkalizes your gut. The next thing that I do is to take some oils. And the oils I happen to take are made from, from some lab that tests my blood tests and they give me the right omega-3 and 6. Oh, she came home one day with essential oils. Have you heard of this? A box of bullshit. It's a box of bullshit. And then it gives you a book to tell you what the bullshit does. She was all excited. Look what I got. Now I can heal us. I have rosemary, tangerine, lavender. Now we can sleep. I get the flu, right? I got the flu. This one pulls her book out. Tell me what you got. Hey, what you, why don't you go to CVS and get me some NyQuil, Harry Potter? I don't need a potion, woman. I need medicine. What are you, a witch? Good. Get on your broom, go to CVS, and get me some NyQuil. So that's all that's in my gut until, say, for instance, I finished eating now. I, I, go for, I go longer than your son does sometimes. I go for like 20 hours sometimes fasting, right? So... I don't eat. And then when I do eat, I start with a vegetable-based protein shake. So I'm not having whey protein, which is from dairy. I have like pea protein or hemp protein. And with that, I have turmeric in there. I have ginger. I have all kinds of fruit. And in its raw form, it doesn't raise your insulin levels and the blended form. If you cook fruit, it's a different kettle of fish. It turns into the same thing that, you know, fructose and sucrose does. But so then when you put all those fresh fruits in, because I start with fruit-based, you end up getting all the vitamins absorbed. I don't take vitamins. I don't take vitamin C. In fact, vitamin C has caused a lot of stomach issues, right? Because people in the 70s and 80s took too much vitamin C. Take another thing of vitamin C. It rots your gut, vitamin C. A lot of vitamins aren't good for you. You have to know your vitamins. Sure. Just to walk into a, to a health food shop and empty the flipping place, a lot of that stuff can be very toxic for you. And even the non-fat-soluble, you know, the water-soluble ones can be very toxic as well because your gut doesn't need this. So by giving your gut a break, it creates ketosis, which is the usage of fat. She's on keto now. We've tried paleo. We've tried Atkins. Now we're on keto. She wants to get into ketosis. That's fine with me. I got cookies in my office in the basement. I don't <laughs> I'm telling you, I can't keep up with the food anymore anyway. GMO, non-GMO. You know, we had food, didn't we, sir? We had food. That's when we were growing up, food. And you ate it because kids were starving in China. That's all you know. <laughs> Eat that. There's a kid in China starving. Oh, he's not getting my food. <laughs> now it's GMO, non-GMO, organic, non-organic, gluten, gluten-free, kale. I never saw kale in my life until Tammy went on keto. Now it's ubiquitous. It's all over my house. You can't put enough ranch dressing on kale to make it taste good. But when you use ketosis, ketosis or fat is a very good healer. 
so you can heal faster. So a lot of MMA guys, when they want to gain weight or lose weight, they'll go on fasting in order to, to heal their injuries and also to see how their bodies absorb glucose. Their nutritionists will do that. Their finely tuned nutritionists will say, okay, so if you want to gain weight, we'll do this. If you want to lose weight, we'll do this. But, and guys like Frank Zane, this, and Herschel Walker, for instance, guys like that, you know, Herschel Walker, the famous football player, and Frank Zane, the famous bodybuilder from the 70s, he doesn't eat, Frank Zane doesn't eat till like five o'clock in the afternoon. You know what I mean? I used to have um, this guy when I was in Chicago. We decided to uh, finish our basement and, uh, right. you know, create some kind of, you know, TV room and stuff like that. So the guy who uh, did it only ate one meal a day and he ate at six o'clock at night. Now, let me tell you, he'd get there first thing in the morning because this guy was the greatest worker ever. He did the mm -hmm. entire basement in under 30 days. It was really great. But mm -hmm. what happened was he'd get there in the morning and he's really industrious. He's, you know, he had a cup of coffee, right? So then he's working. He doesn't take a lunch break, nothing. By four o'clock in the afternoon, because like, he worked for two more hours, you didn't want to be around him. Because he, okay. he lost, he had a horrible temper. He loses everything. I, you know, I remember he was finishing the basement. We're on the last few days and I'm in there and I think I'm trying out this media uh, system that I had put together and I'm starting to listen to stereo. I think I was listening to the Grateful Dead or something like that to see how it sounded. And he was still working and he's thinking, look, I'm working all day. I'm working from eight in the morning until six o'clock at night. This guy comes in. And sits in this seat and turns on his stereo. He got so pissed. He just came up to me and threw the bill at me. And he goes, this will give you something to do. So it's like, but, if you eat once, well, once it, a day and it's late in the afternoon, just stay away from people yeah, for the last few I, hours. I would, just, I would just say it shouldn't do that supposedly. This guy sounds like he wasn't really... You know, it shouldn't make people like that. Well, it could have been he was eating shitty. Like, he could have been eating like a double pizza with sausage and all kinds of stuff at night. Yeah, it could have been yeah, bad yeah. food. Or, yeah. Yeah. We went to K KFC where we call it over here. Can't find the chicken. So <laughs> Hey, so, okay. So you're talking about all these things. The, your gut needs a break. You empty your bowels, <laughs> lemon water, oils, vegetable based smoothies. Where does the fun eating come in? Like the going out no, to the eat funny, the, the yeah, the fun eating comes in right after that. So then you eat whatever you want. And so I don't stay to this this really militant 11 to 7 thing window. I know this, that if tonight, for instance, I watch a soccer game or football game next door with my friends and I'll have a beer or some nuts and I don't you know, have that at 930 at night. Maybe I'll come back and have a protein bar because I got the munchies. You know, from smoking a reefer on the way back or something. Right, like that. right. But you're pretty that, disciplined that, that, about your eating, aren't you? Yeah, yes, but I am. But I'll stop. But then if I don't, if I have my last meal at nine thirty at night or last thing to eat, then I won't eat tomorrow till like two thirty. You know what I'm saying? I don't like I don't like stick to this kind of like regimen. But I but but the basic thing I've been doing for the last two and a half to almost three years now is this intermittent fasting, and I never felt better. It's an easy way to lose body fat because if the more muscle you have in your body the more your metabolic rate gets geared up. And so the more fat you'll burn during your, during your fasting, if you want to call it. And you, you got to get past that. Most people got to get past that stage where they go, gosh, I got to have something to eat. So your brain, you know, the Pavlov's dog, the, 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 the thing rings, the bell it rings. Salivates and the dog, yeah, and the dog salivates. salivates yeah. yeah. So, so, so you got to get past that kind of thing where, 
gosh, I got this bio clock that's telling me at 10 o'clock I got to have, you know, smashed avocado with, with scrambled eggs, that kind of thing. And, and then you go a little longer and you'll notice that you can do it. Now, Yom Kippur is a dawdle. I wouldn't want to do Ramadan, but, you know, 30 days, but, but I'll do Yom Kippur pretty easy these days where I used to kind of, cause I used to think I got to eat some, I got to eat some, I got to see, or we, you know, we had this kind of philosophy, you know, every two hours, you got to eat, got to eat every two hours. Well, you know, I could eat every two hours once I start eating again, but not that. And what I find is it's just a good way to kind of right now for my 66th birthday and you're slightly ahead of me, I want to have a six pack. And since I moved into this place, uh, I've gotten a little bit, not lazy, but because I'm, I'm not so, I got my adrenaline pumping and I'm sleeping better and, you know, things have settled down with grandchildren and all the issues that I had over last year with my son-in-law passing away and then not having a place to live, you know, because something fell through, yeah. you know, your adrenaline stops and then you, you know, your body goes, okay, let's just, you know, let's put on a couple pounds. So I don't have a, I have a four pack. I don't have a six pack right now, but I had a six pack during, you know, filming for super eight, but now I'm going to have a six pack again. Cause I got it all planned for my birthday. But the point I'm making is it's easier with the intermittent fasting. And I don't hold back. Like I'll have ice cream. Sometimes I'll have pizza. I'll have a couple beers. I don't have more than a couple beers and I don't have more than a couple vodkas, but it isn't the vodka that bothers me. It's the cranberry juice actually, if it's too sweet. So that makes my muscles feel right. stiff because I notice the sugar, but the idea of the intermittent fasting, again, ketosis is a very good healer. So what happens, your body fat will help heal muscles and everything else and back to the healing process with ketosis and and everything if you keep your alignment right rich and if you keep your blood clean because you're not putting anti-inflammatories in it and you eat well you, you don't eat too much sugar and you eat healthy you know healthy nutritious food and you still have your pizza because pizza could be really healthy man you don't have to have an unhealthy pizza you can have like pizza with egg on it and chicken on it you can have broccoli on it, spinach on it. You can be really healthy, but if you, if you keep things open and your blood's clean, tissues can heal. So cartilage can heal. Tears can heal. Rather than going to see a surgeon for a rotator cuff problem, you can open things up. And if you keep it open, you keep working it, they can actually repair. You can repair your own cartilage. Severe pulls and severe twists and severe rips. No, you can't small ones that a lot of people just end up getting aching. And so what happens with, you know, the rotator cuff, like your son's talking about shoulders, a lot of that stuff, that PX 90 and all that kind of stuff, that's crazy shit. You know, I mean, I could throw the piano out of the house, the third floor window and try to catch it. And that might work. My biceps could also just crash. crush me. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. so, so, yeah. so, so there's a lot of fucking stupid shit exercise like cross training. I never heard more people in cross training with knee pads and bad elbows. I oh, mean, sure. Yeah. There's a difference. You know, so what the fuck, man? It's over the you top. You want to do stupid shit? You know, go and, go join Cirque du Soleil. You know what I'm saying? Like, Here's what I find day. with people that are uh, around. Well, first of all, I see the like weekend warriors, guys, uh, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s that are in a very busy career, try and get as much in as they can on weekends, right? Where they can. Right. And then what I'm saying. The weekend warriors. And then weekend warriors. And then I see a lot of injuries. But And now when I'm seeing people in their retirement ages, I find like a lot of people are relaxing. They're going out to dinner a lot. They're done with their cooking. They are 
um, you know, guys, my buddies who are golfing, you know, they're getting a hot dog at the turn. They're having a few drinks, a few vodkas, or maybe a few beers, either when they're playing or right after. And I, I just find that all these things we're talking about probably translate to a healthier, better life. But it seems to be, to a lot of people I've seen lately, counter to the way they're living their lifestyle. Yeah, and when I say they, it's present company included. I'm part of that as well. So it's almost like people need to make a concerted effort. Either they know of somebody who's gotten into bad health because of bad habits or it happens to them for them to like wake up and say, I need a Joshatron. I need the Josh's mentality of a healthy life. Yeah, and that's and that's true, Rich. And a lot of it comes down to how people are thinking about themselves. And so you go to hypnotherapist to stop smoking and, and all this other stuff. But what you got to come down to is why would a person, right, this weekend warrior, want to have a personal trainer if he's 55 years old or even 45 years old, that's 25 years old, that the 25-year-old doesn't have any children. He has three children. He has a tough relationship with his wife. He's a corporate athlete. And he gets the shit kicked out of him with kettlebells, right? And he hurts himself, right? So the point of it is, is that don't you like yourself? And what I would say to my clients working with a philosophy, or I would say to people when I do seminars, you want to get in shape quickly, start slowly. Because you don't get stronger when you train. You get stronger when you recover from training. So the classic thing where you see, I see it now outside my window here, though it's a nice evening in England, and all these people have got a little bit of extra Milwaukee tumors, and a little bit more, they're going south in the tush, and some of them are only 30, 25 years old, and they're running, and they look like they're dying. They absolutely look like they're killing themselves. Or they're in a little pink outfit, and they get their little bicycles out, and they're riding about 20 miles in, in the best gear, so they're not really pushing it, and they end up at the cafeteria having a cake. So now they're eating a thousand calories of cake and they've only peddled off like 250 calories, but they think they look smart in their little pink, little Tour de France outfit, right? Look, if you've come to my podcast, it's not necessarily to look for ways to change your eating habits. I mean, there are countless websites, books, organizations that you could join for that if you choose. But here's the thing. My buddy Josh has made a living out of helping people make changes to help them help themselves. And at this point in time, this podcast is free, free from advertisement, free from subscription fees for now. So not all advice is worth nothing because you didn't happen to pay for it. If you invest your time to listen, that's a commodity you can't get back. And if you want to learn more, from Josh, he can be reached at josh.salzman at gmail.com. J O S H dot S A L Z M A N N at gmail.com. Or you could wait to buy his book when it's published, or you could email him and set up a consultation or series of sessions to help you get back on track and help yourself. <laughs> listening to another episode of Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon.